This episode of the Upland Nomads podcast is brought to you by Kuga Vest. Kuga Vest is a lightweight and durable dog vest made of 1,000 denier cordura fabric. It is meant to protect the chest, back, side, and underbelly of your dogs from things such as briars, fencing, stubble, and any other type of vegetation or hazards you can run into in the field. Kuga Vest, it's serious protection for the active canine. Check them out at kugavest.com. That is C-U-G-A-Vest.com. This episode is also brought to you by Fit and Fetch MD. Fit and Fetch MD uses the benefits of CBD for your dogs. It can help prevent arthritis. It can reduce the severity and risk of seizures. It reduces anxiety. It can increase their appetite. And it can also help your dogs fight against cancer. And for right now, there's a special code for our listeners that you can use on the Fit and Fetch MD website to get 10% off of your order. That would be the code UPLAND10. Check them out at fitandfetchmd.com. You are now listening to the Upland Nomads podcast. Sit back and join us on our adventure. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Upland Nomads podcast. I'm Mike and I'm joined here again by uh, the other co-host Wyatt. And first off, I want to start off by thanking you guys for sticking along with us and listening to our podcast and also following us on Instagram and leaving us likes and comments. It means a lot to the both of us. Well, let's get right into the nitty gritty here and introduce our special guest today. Joining us today is Nick Martin, also known as the Iowa Bird Chaser. So Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, go by the Iowa Bird Chaser on Instagram and YouTube are kind of the main places you can find me. But uh, I'm just a normal dude that has a day job, but I do a lot of public land hunting here in Iowa, specifically for pheasants. And I'm on a personal mission that I started two years ago in 2020 to try to shoot a pheasant in each county in Iowa on public ground. And there are 99 counties in Iowa. So uh, we're currently at 19 of 99 after two full seasons in, into this journey. It's been, a, it's been a process so far, to say the least. Definitely a lot of ups and downs, um, but it's been fun. And getting to meet a lot of people like you guys uh, has, has probably been the greatest part of it so far. I, I didn't think any of, the, any of it would pick up momentum or anything. I just wanted to document it somewhere, and uh, mainly through photography, and Instagram is kind of the place to do that. So I just put it out there and it's just kind of slowly picked up a little bit of uh, momentum on its own. So it's, it's just really been interesting to see kind of where we've come after two years. Yeah. I say we actually got to meet you at, at the hunt ready booth at pheasant fest. So that was cool too. So that's kind of how we met. Yeah, that was great to link up with you guys. We were actually just kind of talking about that right before we went on the air here is um, Tyler Melcher with ringnecks and retrievers kind of indirectly connected us there and it was it was great to uh connect with you and michael and just talk to like-minded individuals like everyone you know twenty-two thousand yeah. of them there yeah. <laughs> it was like I a big say it was, i say it was night i think that was probably one of my favorite booths actually to end the day i think like we were there like right at right at the end and there was like yeah. nobody there so we finally got to go there and not be like in a bunch in, a, in amongst a bunch of people well, and it was a crazy day, you know, obviously Saturday was the, the busiest of the three. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it was kind of a blur. It was crazy how fast it went. Did you work there the full day then on Saturday or? 
Yeah, just kind of volunteered and helped out and then did about a half day on Sunday. So how did you get linked up with Hunt Ready? So I met Heath and Jared in 2019 at the Minneapolis Pheasants Forever Festival, the last one they had prior to Omaha, and tried on the was in the market for a new vest, knew they were releasing that one, so just kind of held off and tried it on at the show. Didn't get one at the show, but went home, ended up ordering one right before the following season uh, that fall and have just kind of been hunting with it ever since. So I just strictly purchased it because I liked it. And then um, I just said, you know, I'm going to do this 99 County thing. And they've just kind of picked up on it and helped me spread awareness. Definitely no sponsorship or anything like that. Just friends was just helping them out at the festival. But I just love the product and I'm a big believer in it because I wear it all the time. So I just kind of reached out to them prior to the festival and said, hey, if you guys need any help or anything. And um, we were, I was able to kind of connect with them for a couple of days. So that's nice. Did you, did you have your vest there? Like I know Tyler had his so everybody could kind of see like how people deck theirs out different. But Yeah, no, I did not. I knew there'd be plenty of vests and um, there was a few other people that had theirs as well. Heath and Jared that uh, run the company and then uh, Edgar Castillo. He does a lot of upland writing. Not sure. Hunt, hunt birds on Instagram. He's actually coming on the show. Okay. Um, so he had his there as well. So just kind of use theirs as they're all relatively similar as far as how we pack them. I will, I will say this out of everyone's vests. I, I thought I carried a lot of stuff. Uh, mine's light and probably empty. Can, you know, if those guys looked at it, cause yeah. those guys pack, pack some stuff in there, but that's what it's for. If you look at mine, my, uh, Browning, I'm in the market for a new one too, but my Browning has got nothing in it couple water bottles early in the season and maybe just one late in the season yeah and usually hopefully a bag full of birds but yeah i don't know if you can like attest to this but they must be made out of some good material because you even or they offered wyatt who's not a small guy to begin with if you can rip this i'll give you a free vest so that was kind of the deal of the weekend so um it's it's made with similar if not the same i believe it's the same material i don't want to misspeak but i'm pretty sure it's the same material um, that the U S military uses in their plate chest carriers. And so, you know, those guys are over there with all that stuff strapped to them with the Molly system, webbing system, and, uh, they're, they're dealing with life and death situations. And if it can hold up for those guys, you know, it's going to hold up in the timber here. And that was, that was kind of the, the testament to the product is it will stand the test of time because you're not going to tear it. You know, I've taken it grouse hunting, pheasant hunting, quail you know all sorts of different habitat woods tight areas that thing's gotten ripped on and it you know they look like they barely have a scratch after two years of use and i wasn't even gonna waste my time and energy trying to rip it because i knew i wasn't gonna be able to no matter i say i love the people that come by and say oh i don't want to embarrass you guys and you're like okay (laughs) yeah i I don't want to embarrass myself i don't want to sit there I believed in that product, obviously from using it after two years, but after sitting in helping those guys for a day and a half and ripping on that material myself and putting different sizes and getting people strapped in to fit them in a good way, it just, I, I left the event even more of a believer in the product. J- just, you know, like you guys said, you've seen all these people come by ripping on it, tearing on it. Everyone's bringing their vest to the festival, kind of coming together and saying, Hey, look how mine's still holding up this and that. Um, other than the burn orange fading a little bit, that's about the only thing you can tell on a lot of them. Yeah, but you don't even have to get burn orange if you don't want to. So right, right. 
but no, I think I think that's kind of where I'm leaning in my best uh, options that I've got left. I mine are kind of so they're final rise or hunt ready. So yeah, and the, and the nice that, thing about that festival is you could try them all on kind of side by side. Well, yeah, that's one nice thing too because like they're not at a Shields or or a Cabela's or anything like that. So. In any of those brands, it's a, it's a, you were talking a decent investment, but it'll last a long time. Um, But yeah, to not be able to go to a store and try it on, that's, yeah, it's kind of scary to make a purchase like that. So yeah, to be able to literally try them on almost side by side, if you want to go booth to booth is not common. And a great thing about pheasants, uh, pheasant quail classic. Yeah. I don't, it was just nice to be able to talk and not be interrupted by people there too. So that might've made the experience there too, but the guys that have already been super good to us on instagram and talk to them and we thanked them too for like the great booth they had and just the conversations we've had and have been really good so well and what i like about them is they've just been super responsive you know if i've um, needed anything in regards to hey how do you know this strap i want to tweak it or this or that what's your recommendation they always get back to you um and they're just they're just two guys that want to try to create some solutions in the upland world. I, I think a lot of these some of these bigger companies, you know, um, we're talking massive companies. I think a lot of them try to create new things year after year to just have a new skew to put on the shelf. And they're not right. really creating a solution. And Hunter was actually debuting a new vest. at Yeah. And they had a simplified down um, elevate the new elevate system. Um, so it just kind of takes the beefy vest that they have now and simplifies it down a little bit. If you don't need kind of all those different Molly attachments, takes, takes that Molly panel off the very back of it, but you still have it around the waist belt, um, area. So just kind of some tweaks here and there. And then of course the price points a little less than the deviant system or other systems they have. Yeah. I think I like the deviant system though. I like having, having the two water bottles cause you know, even in North Dakota, early September, it's could still be 70 80 degrees so last year mid-november here in iowa we were still getting into some really warm afternoons it was a little unusual this year well last year technically now i think we had one day in december that was like high 40s like almost 50 this year yeah 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 now we just finally got rid of all our snow the four feet of snow we had we woke up this morning to snow it's gone now but fargo woke up to snow and we didn't have any so it was nice <laughs> Uh, so before we get into uh, your quest that you're on here now, I kind of want to know a little bit more about your uh, hunting background. So like, how did you get into hunting? So growing up, my dad would take me out with my older brother and my dad's friends and kind of started out walking with them. Then eventually you kind of get a little older and you carry a BB gun and then transition to the 410. And then finally got my first uh, 20 gauge pump when I was younger and then the 12 gauge. So have been fortunate enough that hunting was in my family growing up. Now, with that being said, we always grew up and we had some local farmers that we knew where their birds were and we'd go out and we'd hunt, we'd shoot some birds and the dog would do, you know, good job, whatever. We'd come home and that was kind of the end of it. So really, as far as like developing grass types, public land hunting, things like that, I'm actually a relatively new hunter in, in that regard. So over the last three, four years, I really kind of, especially with Onyx and other maps out there, Google Maps, just things like that. Um, it's just really broadened kind of my um, scope on hunting and realizing that, you know, there's not just these few 
places to go find pheasants. There's, there's definitely a lot of other opportunities and other species as well throughout the state. So it's just kind of slowly um, over the last few years, really kind of taken on a belly, a beast of its own, so to speak, in regards to diving into learning about, about that side of it. So did you grow up in Iowa your whole life then, or did you, uh, yeah. did you move there? Yep. yep. Born and raised here in Iowa. So did you grow up uh, like deer hunting and stuff too? I did not. So dad was never a bird hunter. He mainly was duck and uh, pheasants. And so I got into deer hunting just about four years ago. I had a good friend, Joe from college, and uh, he has been gracious enough to kind of help get me into that. And then there's a Heenick family who's kind of a local group. They have helped get me into the muzzleloader and all that as well. So they've been a, a huge blessing in regards to just kind of showing me the ways, especially on the muzzleloader. It's, it's a whole, uh, a whole different thing than the shotgun, of course. I'd say, do you have a, do you have a shotgun and slug down there too? For deer, I only do muzzleloader. Uh, my first year I did shotgun and then once I got my 50 cal, I just, I don't know. There's just something about black powder that uh that i love so a lot of people love it around here too it's yeah longer it's a little bit longer season minnesota i guess minnesota wise but. yeah and it just it's kind of more i've never bow hunted but i would kind of com- compare it to like a bow hunt in the sense of you can kind of scope them out where i feel like in iowa specifically and you can hunt them with shotguns like that but when you talk about shotgun deer hunting in iowa that's mainly a lot of guys you know driving through woods with big groups slinging slugs at each other yeah kind of party type hunting yeah we've all been there (laughs) i'm a stick and string guy so that's all right i'm a really high-tech string stick and string guy (laughs) (laughs) it's like anything it's all it's all everyone wants to keep progressing right yeah it's it's a it's just like going out and shooting clays it's always nice just kind of relax when you go shoot a bowl and yeah i was doing that in my garage the other day getting ready for turkey season yeah, that's coming up here in another week or so here in Iowa. Another 14 days in Minnesota. It's not over know. at. Yeah. Thir- opens up 13th of April, I believe. So. I think that's right. We're at 11th, 12th, 13th. Youth starts the 8th, I believe. Still talking a little bit more about your Questron. What's, uh, you've got 19 counties, you said, out of the 99. So how much time do you think it's going to take you to finish this quest? So I'm hoping that I can complete, it's been two years so far. I'm hoping if I can get it done in the next seven, that would be great. Yeah. So it's, I mean, we're talking a journey, literally. Yeah, it's a journey. How many counties did you get done this year? Now I'm trying to do, that's kind of with the goal of 10 every year, roughly. Um, So granted, if I can get a couple bonus birds, we have a good, you know, off season, as far as hatches and things like that go. And, you know, this year I was fortunate enough to crank out two counties in one day, which I've never done that before. I mean, if I happen to score something like that again, um, you know, hopefully we can cut that seven number down a little bit, but my dog would be 11 after seven years and that's getting pretty old for a Griffin. But I'm like, man, if I could achieve this all in her lifetime, that'd be, that'd be a dog. (laughs) Oh, and that'd be a story to tell too. Not that she is great and every point is perfect, but it just, that's the dog that did it. And she's yeah, had but, help. I mean, I, you've seen, if you've watched some of my videos, I've hunted with some yeah. other people that have dogs, but I'm just like, if she's there in the field with me on every hunt, at least, you know, in present. You think about getting another dog at some point too, or. Yeah. I, uh, I got a buddy down in Georgia. His name's Tom and he's really been pushing me. Uh, I mean, I've wanted one, but he has a, um, a setter 
And uh, so he's kind of been dinging me like, I, I, I got you. I can get you. I can get you one when you're ready. Let me know. So I'm thinking in the next year or something, I would, I would like to get maybe a Gordon setter. Okay. A Gordon setter. How do they compare to like uh, Llewellyn or I don't know. That's how you pronounce it. Or Llewellyn's the other ones that we were looking at. Um, So from uh, my friend, Tom has both from kind of what I have seen is the, Gordon setter seems a little more faster, kind of like your German short hair pointer ranges a little further um, where the Llewellyn's are going to be a little more closer working, a little slower, more methodical kind of compared to like the Griffins. Okay. So that's kind of what I'm going back and forth. It's like, do I want something that, uh, you know, is going to range a little more with the Griff that stays a little closer or do I get kind of two that still work together close the Griffin is, oh, that's an interesting dog. I want to, we've seen a few of them in town and the fiance, I talked to you the other day, the fiance really wants one. So yeah, it seems like so, they're really becoming a more popular breed just in general, as far as house pets and things like that. But of course with, with any breed that comes with, you know, people yeah. breeding for the wrong reasons and stuff of that nature. So I just try to always advise people just do your research. I think they're popular too. Cause they're like hypoallergenic dogs. They are. So that is actually why my and dad don't, got one. But apparently they don't shed. To a yeah, they don't. You know, I think even a lot of dogs that say don't shed still shed a little bit. But compared yeah. to your typical house dog, like a lab or a German shorthair pointer, things like that. Yeah, we don't get a lot of shedding. You still got to comb them and keep them groomed. They're a little more maintenance on that side with their coat. Now, do so I? Back I mean, I'm a perfect guy and groom, you know, great comb line. Probably not as much as I should. So she gets a little walking. But <laughs> is she right behind ahead. you right now? So uh, No. Actually, oh. I just muted myself a minute ago and yelled at her because she's chewing something that doesn't sound like a toy. <laughs> uh, so getting back into your your quest. So where in like Iowa do you live? Don't want so I'm in like the cedar. Oh, no, no. There's, there's not really good bird hunting around me. So no hot spot here. Um, I'm out of the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area. So if people are familiar with like the University of Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes, um, yeah. kind of near near that college. Not literally, so then, but. how do you decide where you're going to go? So a lot of it's dictated by my schedule with work. So uh, I've kind of hit some of the counties right around me. I'm based out of the Lynn County area. So kind of around the Lynn County area, I've, I've knocked a lot of those, a decent amount of those out, you know, that are touching us. And then uh, I try to take a couple week long, four to five day trips a year and just go to different quadrants of the state. Since I'm only two seasons in, of course, the few trips that I've taken so far, I've really focused focused kind of up in that northwest region and north central region. I really haven't done anything south too much. And that was just kind of based on roadside numbers, where things were looking good. I wanted to kind of just get my personal journey off on the right foot and not come off a season and be like, all right, I got three. I got three this year. (laughs) 99. Like, okay. And next year I got four. So I was like, all right, I got to hit kind of some better counties, get things going. And then at the same time, I'm basing, like there are going to be some counties that'll be harder and are more deer populated and don't have a lot of grassland and things like that. So when we have a good spring and hatch numbers are looking good, I'm kind of thinking, you know, which you're going to have to kind of target those harder areas, so to speak. And then maybe those years that numbers are down, those honey, those, those what were honey holes may not be honey holes anymore, but they should still have birds. And all yeah. I need is one. You know, I'm not out there trying to shoot limits, trying to kill one pheasant in that county. And I literally, if I shoot a pheasant in that county, I mean, I literally 
finish the field, go back to my truck. We get in the truck and we head to the next county or I head home, depending on what I'm doing. So I don't say I was going to, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. I was just going to say, so I don't stick around the rest of the day and just keep hunting that place. Cause I had, you know, five places pinned out that looked good. Um, this is definitely with trying to do it in that, in the dog Sophie's lifetime. Um, it's kind of something where time is of the essence and, uh, I just kind of keep on rolling, which is bittersweet. Cause I drive by some good places. I'm like, Oh man, I was really itching to get in there. Yeah. And I say, but you could also have like a super good hatch and year, then you could maybe, and you can pound out quite a few counties in a year too. So and it's I guess slowly... I don't know how your your population is in Iowa, but I don't like if I was supposed to do this and uh if I was to do this in North Dakota, I wouldn't be able to because like the northeast part of North Dakota doesn't have pheasants, I don't think. Well, and part of it, uh as I was saying earlier, is it kind of take it's kind of taken on a little bit of a interest as far as other people reaching out in Iowa and be like, Hey, you know, when you get to this County, let me know. Like, I love what you're doing. I think it's super cool. Like reach out and let me know. So I'm hoping that I, I utilize a little bit of that, but at the same time, part of this is experiencing it myself with my dog. So there is, there is this element of like finding the ground, scouting it. If I can going out there by myself with my dog, finding the bird, shooting the bird, there's that, that element of achieving, you know, I have achieved that where I still get a reward when I hunt with other people and it's awesome to make relationships and get to hunt with them. But at the same time, I don't want to look back and be like, Oh man, I got like 77 of 99 because these people were just like, Oh, let me take you to go shoot where I know where there are bird is. I think it would take a little bit away from the journey, but at the same time, you know, I'm just trying to balance. So I was thinking maybe if 10 is my goal a year, I try to do, get five birds on my own, maybe five birds with someone else or, you know, seven with some other people and five on my own. Try to balance yeah. it. So is um, it like, is it a pretty big challenge to have to e-scout ahead of time? Like when you go on those four or five day trips about, okay, well, first day I shoot a bird in this County, what's the next County I'm going to head to pin all those spots. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, there's a tremendous amount of luck involved. I mean, I have been learning over the past couple of years and been kind of pinpointing, which I think has led to more success this year than my first year. But a lot of these places strictly, like you said, Michael, e-scouting, cause they're three, four, five hours away. I didn't even realize when I started this, you could drive five hours and still be in Iowa. I thought you'd be in another state. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, these are places that you're going and then, you know, sometimes you pull in the parking lot, there's another truck there. You're like, okay, drove four hours. Now it's plan B and then plan B, there's somebody there and it's like, okay, C, C may just be a crap place. You don't see nothing. And now you're just going through Onyx sitting in a parking lot. Like, where can I hunt? And, And that has turned into, oh, found a bird here. Didn't even know about it or. I have driven past public places getting to a place I have pinned because it was so small or whatever that you didn't notice it on the Onyx until you zoomed in close enough. And it's like, oh, drop a pin quick, may come back to this. So yeah, it's definitely a process and as far as the scouting goes and trying to figure that out. Like we talked about before we got on the show, Iowa, for people that don't know, Iowa doesn't have a ton of public land compared to other states like Minnesota, North Dakota. Yeah, we're about 95, 97% privately owned ground. So, I mean, that leaves four, three to 4% for uh, public land access. And then of that three, three to 4%, that's divided in within 99 counties. And then within 99 counties, how much of that is grassland, hab- habitat, things like that can, that can hold birds. So, yeah, all, all the odds literally are stacked against me. <laughs> <laughs> Would you consider right. that your uh, biggest, biggest challenge to like find spots to go then? Uh, definitely in some counties. I mean, uh, 
there are some counties that have like minimal public ground. And then of the public grounds, sometimes it's just like waste, what I call waste ground, timber, low lying areas that sit like down by river bottoms that just flood every spring. And so other than like some deer hunting and stuff like that, it's just kind of, kind of a waste. So it may get to a point, you know, when I get up in there in the eighties, upper eighties, you know, there may be, I don't know, five to nine counties where it turns into having to build a relationship, get private ground access. I don't want to do that. I want to try to do it exclusively. And that's where those harder counties to find the birds. I'm going to try to utilize our better breeding seasons to knock those out. So that doesn't turn into, you know, having to access private ground. No, that's sweet what you're doing though. I, I think, I wish I could do that in North Dakota. That'd be, I don't even know how many North counties North Dakota has, but I don't think I could do it. Cause I think like as soon as you get above ground forks, there's like, I don't think there's pheasants. Cause you get up in that, the woodsy areas of the North East corner of sure. Canada area up by Canada. Yeah. So you've started like, uh, putting these videos or your hunts on uh, YouTube, is it, how do you like recording them? I record it with the GoPro just on my head for now. It's mainly for the most part, just me out there by myself. If I'm hunting with some other people, they're hunting with me. So don't really have anyone that, that follows along. And as far as putting the videos together, it's just been a learning experience this, the past couple of years and kind of figuring out how to make it interesting. Cause obviously everyone wants to see the shot and the kill, but that's only 10 seconds. Um, but I obviously don't want to just put out a bunch of wasteful, you know, minutes because then people just click through it and won't watch. So I'm just slowly kind of learning on what people want to see and try, trying to grab your interest and tell the story on top of just, hey, I killed another bird. I want to see some quail. Yeah, quail would be, <laughs> those are more in southern Iowa. So hopefully when I get down in those, those tiers, we'll be getting into some quail a little bit too. That'll be fun too, just to have the chance at shooting multiple species in one day. The first time I saw my first wild quail flush in Kansas this year, and it was like a dozen birds. And I, I was just like, whoa, whoa, what happened? And Tom, the gentleman I was telling you with the setters that I was with, he's like, yeah, there's quail. There's quail. You didn't, you didn't know there were quail here? And I'm like, no, it's pre- uh, public ground. And uh, we were able to watch where one, one landed and the two dogs went up and worked it pretty good. And I was able to shoot it. And I actually have it at the taxidermist now. Hopefully it'll turn out. But uh, it, was pre- it was a pretty cool experience in Kansas. They, they're fat. Male Bob White, I take it. Yep. And I've hunted them on game farms here in Iowa, but they don't they don't fly nearly as fast and they go 20 yards and fall back down and the dogs can about catch them if the dogs are fast enough. Yeah. And say I haven't never shot a quail. Close probably is a hun. I don't know if they're close or not. <laughs> I've heard the hunter pretty fast, and you and I were talking about that the other day, Wyatt. And I, I would say that if you could hit a hun, you'll probably be pretty good at a quail. So people say uh, they're somewhat alike. I mean, they're both the same size. I think Hans might be a little bit bigger than Quail. Big, but, no. but I might they, have a problem then because I can't even hit a Hun. <laughs> I struggle with the pheasants, so <laughs> there's a reason I've only killed one Quail in my life. <laughs> then you got to get on the Sharpies. Yeah, I would love that. I was going to say, because I think like early in the season, they set you up pretty nice on some nice shots, especially with a pointing dog. Okay. Then say they seem to hold them pretty tight early in the season, like singles or doubles. And that's what scat. I love is when you get a nice holding bird. Good point. Yeah. Usually that's I think, when I miss though. When everything goes right, it's when I miss. <laughs> I had that happen. I had that happen this year. And the one picture I sent you where we had we shot our limit of roosters and Hans. Um, I my dog went on point in this cattails. Then it was me and Michael and 
our boss and I was like, Michael, do you want to walk over here with Riggs? And and Riggs go as soon as I said that, Riggs went on point in the cattails. <laughs> there was like it was a bare patch and there's cattails. Yeah. And I was like, uh, you sure you don't want it? And he's like, No, I'll take it. And so I walked down there and I was like, I feel like I'm a pretty decent shot. And Riggs pointed it perfectly, walk up there, rooster flushes close as I'll get out, and I whiff three times. I was like, <laughs> Are you kidding me? Michael, oh. I think Michael said, I think Michael's like, maybe I should have went over there. <laughs> I wasted the good one on you. But then I got my revenge. I got the last one on the cat. Another cat rigs went on point on the head of a cattail slough. See, it's always good when you get redemption. It just makes it that much sweeter. Yep. That was that same uh, weekend that I learned uh, that when it comes to hunting, my patience level is for waiting for a bird to get to a good distance is not the best. It's about, oh, it's right there. Pull up, shoot. And uh, there was, yeah, I probably shot a rooster at 15 feet. And it wasn't much of it afterwards. It touched the end of his barrel basically i i i struggle with letting them get out there too michael and i there's so many times i'm just like well bam and i'm like dude (laughs) chill out and i think i miss sometimes because my spread isn't even you know it's not even out there it's still a still probably about in the wad if the wad don't hit them it ain't going down (laughs) that was it was pretty funny we were walking this one because where we walked this one piece and and michael and our our boss or my boss and Michael's old boss were uh, like, oh, there's like spent shells here and oh, there's footprints here. Like, oh, maybe it's not going to be anything. But then we got to one area and all of a sudden birds were getting up everywhere. And Michael calls, bird gets up in front of Michael and he goes, root, like he tried saying rooster and he shot the bird. <laughs> it was like, bam. <laughs> <laughs> and our boss was like, our boss was dying laughing. That He's was like, a rooster. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> That's Michael, great. Michael spent that $10 show on it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you told Business. me you got to bring steel shot or non-toxic shot. And well, that's all they had there. So yeah, that would have to happen, I guess. But <laughs> you only used one there. That is true. So going I mean, into deer you're... hunting a little more, do you uh, mainly just chase? like upland birds like pheasant then yeah mainly and then i'll do like early muzzleloader uh in october for deer just put a little meat in the freezer if i can and if i'm not successful in early muzzleloader i'll I'll get a late muzzleloader tag and go a little bit after christmas there in that first week of january when it's 30 below and nobody wants to be out you ever tried any like waterfowl or anything a little bit growing up have done a little bit of duck hunting um but no have not done a ton we used to have a decent flyway that came through our area and they've, they've moved a little bit. They're kind of slowly coming back. Our local DNR has done a lot of improvements, if that's what you want to call it, to flood a lot of areas to bring the ducks in, but it's upset a lot of other hunters, not myself personally, but like deer hunters and other upland hunters aren't too happy with it because it seems like they're flooding everything around here. But uh, there's a lot of ducks, ducks unlimited money, I think, in the area. So they're trying to just kind of keep everybody balanced as much as they can i saw your uh you changed your logo on instagram to a turkey do you turkey hunt them oh yeah then uh turkey hunt we'll do that every spring i've never never fall turkey i've always wanted to shoot a hen in the fall and then get it mounted to use as a decoy uh because in iowa you can only shoot hens in the fall not the spring i'd say same in minnesota 
but I hunted with a gentleman growing up who had a real hen decoy uh, stuffed and had the real legs and everything, but inside the legs were metal rods that then went into the ground. And that mm-hmm. thing like would bring the turkeys in like nothing and they'd want to fight it. And, and you can buy them online, but I think they're like $600. I would say Dave Smith is pretty close. You got to pay about the same. but Yeah, I got a turkey. I shot two turkeys in 2020. Actually, I was fortunate enough to get one in first season and fourth season. And the one I got in fourth season was 28 pounds gutted, the taxidermist said. And oh, he's geez. fully mounted on my floor. And that was That's it. just a little under a thousand. I hate, I hate to say it, but <laughs> if anyone's <laughs> looking to get into turkey taxidermy, it's it, not it, cheap. Uh, right? Yeah, save up your money because it's not like See, a four hundred dollar deer mount. I hear. I, say, I, know, did this one myself. I did this one by myself back here. <laughs> yeah, I do those. The tail mounts I love. I say I have one in our laundry room too that I haven't hung up yet in this place. But I say I, I guess I do mine with a bow, but I got into it like. Uh, it'll be my fourth year doing it because it used to be not be uh, in Minnesota. I think it was like a lottery system. And then they opened it up to like everybody could get one. And then my uncle happened to, or my uncle had land that had a bunch of turkeys on it. So then I was like, well, it's uh he's from there, Minnesota. Yeah. And that's where we're both originally actually from, but okay. I live like, I went to college like 20 minutes from my uncle's land. So it was like, oh, it's an easy drive. Yeah. And the first time I ever did, I did with my bowl. <laughs> and I texted my cousins. I was like, hey, I'm going out today. Like, see how this goes. And I texted them, I think, a half hour later. I had a bird on the ground. <laughs> like, like, this is how it went? <laughs> this is how it went. That's great. I wasn't, I've been lucky enough to take one every year, except I didn't take one in South Dakota. I could have taken a Jake out in the Black Hills the first day I was out there, but I decided not to. But I go in flurries. It seems like it's up and it, down. So you've been hunting turkeys your whole life then, basically? Since or? I was about in middle school, roughly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, quite a few then in I Iowa. In Iowa, we our population has gone up a little bit, they said this last year. But like everywhere, I think overall the turkey's on the decline a little bit. There is oh. some sort of disease out there. I'm not going to get this right, but it's like LPVD or something like that. But it's a disease that's found in the legs of the turkey. So in Iowa, when you shoot a turkey, you can cut the leg off and send it in like the actual, like below the scales part where the scales are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they test that and they just try to track if, if it's spreading throughout the state or not. Iowa DNR does that. And it's all so free. Have, you just reach out to them and they send you an envelope to mail your leg in. So we haven't had to do that yet. I don't think there's anything in Minnesota. No, that's good. In North that, Dakota, so you have to do that with the, or you can do it with like your deer heads. Yeah, we can yeah, do that here with yeah. for chronic wasting disease. Yeah. EHD. Yeah. Yeah. Turkeys in Minnesota, I think, are on the incline, though. That's good. I think. Don't take them. Don't quote me. Yeah. But, yeah. I know they're struggling down south, like Tennessee and those areas. They're trying to do a lot of fundraising. They, at least they're flourishing on my uncle's land. I think there was like 100 turkeys my brother saw That's during awesome. deer hunting. My uncle doesn't like them. So. <laughs> most most landowners don't we we there was a landowner about an hour away from us he had about 30 turkey on his land last year and then or about four years ago excuse me and he started letting everybody you know tom dick and larry coming in there and hunting them and now he has none which he's happy for that but i mean it's just yeah. i think 14 turkeys were taken out of his place just in one year and it's like one spring season it's like that that'll do something to the numbers yeah they are fun to hunt though it's a different type of hunting 
you want to talk about an adrenaline rush. I haven't really done many drugs, but uh, I can't imagine <laughs> that there's a drug that would get you much higher than when a turkey's gobbling at 30 yards right in front of you and you're staring down your barrel and you're like, do not move. Yeah. Or when you like, you get them, like get their attention, all of a sudden they like turn on a, turn on a dime. Oh, like, okay. Now I got to try to draw my bow in here. And Oh man, just a, just a rush. And you get them to like five, 10 yards. I shot my first turkey at seven yards. Whoo! Right That's in the awesome. head. It was quite the adrenaline rush. I was like, I was gonna say your heart was probably coming through your chest. And it came from behind me. So I couldn't like I didn't have the back flaps on my blind open. So I couldn't like see him. So I, I like I got I was like ready, but he hit the blind when he came running by and he absolutely oh. destroyed the Jake decoy <laughs> over the hen. And then I shot him. That's awesome. And then, like, the, you could just tell, like, the birds haven't ever been hunted on my uncle's land. The hens, the bird, the tom, like, went five, ten yards and died in the middle of the field. And the hens just sat there. Like, nothing happened. They didn't move at all until... I've seen where, like, the jakes will attack them. You shoot that the happened tom. To me, that happened to me last year. It's crazy. I shot, I shot it, and it went, and it was, like, dying on the edge of the field. All of a sudden, I just started beating the crap out of it. And I was like, jeez. <laughs> I was wondering, like, like they they try and do CPR. Is that what that's all about? <laughs> all of a sudden, they're just like coming down, like pecking at it. And I was like, yeah, was, you know, they don't got much for spurs, but still can't feel good. <laughs> right, the bird. The bird was pretty much dead anyway. But <laughs> maybe they're thinking. Yeah, so I was like, who's a big boy now, huh? <laughs> that's what I was just thinking, Michael. <laughs> they're like, yep, your time's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem with last year's one too. I made him a jig because I shot him right in the beard and I severed off his most of his beard. Oh, you know that he had like he wasn't like a huge tom anyway. Right, but right. Like, I was a non. I became a non-resident because I moved to North Dakota. So as I told my brother who I was hunting with, I was like, "Yeah, I'm shooting the first tom that we see. Like, I don't care that you're younger than me." <laughs> and I paid more. For the tag, and, yeah, I paid more. I paid, I paid a hundred dollars. He paid twenty dollars. I was gonna say probably twenty bucks. Yeah, he's like okay, and and we had doubled up the year before, so it was pretty sweet. We probably could have too if he wanted to shoot a Jake, but he didn't want to. He shot a really nice Tom the year before, so he didn't want to. Once you go to the Tom, it's hard to go back to the Jake. Yeah, well, I pretty much made him a Jake. He had about this much left. <laughs> <laughs> a little nubby. Yeah, I was like, I shot him. He was a little bit farther away, and I was, I shot him like just a tad bit low, but it like came out and it must have like, just like severed off his beard. Just hit him just right. Yeah. Say he I've never turkey far. hunted, but by the sounds a, of it, it might be a drug I have to try. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Yeah, take me wide or what? I told you to come last year. Yeah. But I, I usually don't hunt much. But, well, last year, we, like, uh, we didn't get any snow, so I started working right away in april so like i had to go out on the weekends that's what i mainly for turkey it's weekend weekend warrior well my that the year i took my brother was 2020 and everybody and their mother was out because nobody was everybody was supposed to be at home that's the year i got my two birds and that's it's same thing not a lot of work no, <laughs> not gonna sit at like, home. i'm gonna go sit in the turkey woods yeah well we went the first day and then we were like well we're gonna go to south dakota and chase them up in the black hills which was really fun i've heard that it again it it was really fun like we there's so many turkeys uh, we saw we had turkeys roosting outside of our hotel like right in the trees right right in the parking lot just, just taunting you 
yeah and like we're driving around town like we had to go through town to like get to this other piece of uh like the black hills area it's all public to hunt and there is mule deer and like a flock of 20 turkeys just moseying around in the park it was like are you kidding me like we're struggling to find them out in the wild right now and they're just all here in town well, I was elk hunting five years ago in Colorado, and the mule deer about walk up to you. But you think we could get an elk to come in? Probably not. I did that. Yeah, it was about five years ago, too, when I was out in Colorado elk hunting. And they always said it was a bad sign. If you see a mule deer, it probably means there's not a lot of elk there now. So you got to move. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going back again in October or September, excuse me. We go every five years. So uh, if I see mealies this year, I'll take that advice, Michael. We'll move out. No, I only went once. So you don't know. It's just been blowing smoke, but seems true so far. So getting back into bird hunting, uh, why did you choose a wire-haired pointing griffin? Uh, I had, we had uh, a Brittany growing up that was decent, but she was just a unique dog herself and wasn't really nice, wasn't well with kids, so we got rid of her. And then we had a short hair when I was in high school, which we loved. Great, great dogs, very popular dogs, of course. But mainly when my dad was looking after his short hair, when he was looking to get another one, uh, a, a new hunting dog, he was looking for something that was a little more hyperallergenic, didn't really shed. So he came across the, across the wire hair pointing griffins and ended up getting one of those. And then when my short hair passed away, I was like, okay, I want to get a, a, a griffin as well, just because I liked how his worked and operated. So that's kind of what led me to get the griffin is just through dad and him kind of figuring out about him. I didn't even know about him until my dad got one. He's like, oh, I'm getting this griffin. This is what it looks like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, those are kind of unique. And then he was talking a little bit more on how they're a versatile breed and can do duck hunting, pheasant hunting, all that kind of stuff, which, which I don't really get into as we were talking about. I don't do much waterfowl. But um, if you're into that, uh, it's definitely something to be aware of on the griffs. They are versatile. So I don't do it anymore. Oh. I just mainly bird hunt now, so or up yeah. on bird hunt. Yeah. So with that griffin, is that you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not 100 percent sure, but is that the same thing or super close to like that Corthal's griffin? Uh so I my understanding is they are the same dog, and the Corthal's okay. griffin is the technical term of the wire hair pointer. That's like the German name or whatever. Is okay. my understanding. Like how, so how do they differ from like a wire-haired pointer or like a drothar because they kind of can look the Um, same so i agree with that comment i'll tread lightly on this subject just because i don't i don't i don't know the big i don't know the big differences but there are grass differences from my understanding i don't know if it's temperament or things of that nature i'm not familiar with those other dogs i know my navda group is mainly drothars and any drothar owner i've met is like they're just a different group of people in a good way. They're just crazy about their dogs, like we all are. But uh, that's just why I said I tread lightly, is I don't want to compare a griffin to a drothar because they would they would slay me out there. <laughs> they crucify you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. They 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 think my dog's probably a little puppy, but um, I think that's probably just the biggest thing is kind of um, I know like in our group with the drothars. They're all bird hunters and great bird hunting dogs, but a lot of those guys dabble a little bit in like fur stuff as well and like chasing rabbits down and things like that. And there's another training or trial group that does rabbit type stuff. So, uh, and then deer tracking as well. I think they do deer tracking. Try to keep my dog away from those nasty creatures they call rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't want him to like impale himself on a fence or something like that because that's what he'd do. Well, yeah, I guess to answer you, there there is a difference. I cannot educate you know educate you guys or speak on that. Specifically, you asked a sixteen to twenty two year old me, "What was your dream dog?" It was like, "Oh, I want a Cortez Griffin." Obviously, that didn't happen. I got my American Cocker, but you know, I'm happy with her too. She's a good dog. <laughs> we had a Cocker growing up, just as a house pet, and it was a great dog. No, oh, yeah, she's definitely a good size to be. I mean, we're in the apartment life now so we didn't want anything too big and oh yeah she does whatever i want her to do she's small but feisty when she's in the field well i was gonna say probably just enough energy for you we're you know something more like that german short hair pointer in an an apartment can i know for some people can just be too much too much energy you know yeah but people still have them and people have multiples in apartments too i was like i don't in new york city (laughs) i was like how do you have a german short hair in your apartment i was like i have a house in the backyard yeah it's not big but like you can still like still throw the ball yeah uh, kind of yeah but i have a huge park like i have a soccer complex like that's park nice. right across from my house like literally right across the street that's perfect so i took him there today and we ran him for an hour on working on our steadiness training and, and all that yeah i need to get a gopro so i don't have to sit there with my phone and I've been working, like going out a hundred yards and throwing his decoy and or his his uh, pheasant bumper, and I'm like walk back to him, and then I'll tell him like I give him his command to go, but my phone's just like bobbing up and down. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I need to do something because this looks terrible, <laughs> but he's doing really good. So and even on the or, GoPro, it gets hard to steady it, but I know what you mean. I was, yeah, it's just like you're walking back to, towards them, but then it's like, okay, that was a terrible video, but like, I think <laughs> he's doing a good job. I'm not a professional bird dog trainer, but he does what I need him to do. So, and that's that's kind of how I train. I'm not a professional, and by no means is my dog perfect, but I just, she does what I need her to do. And I always try to, I tell people, I just say, I always try to train for like a step above what I expect in the field. Because obviously yeah. on public land, wild birds, it, it's you, you can't yeah. train for that to an extent. You know what I mean? Yeah, I say to get them to hold like a perfect point, especially like your like your roosters around here. Yeah, good stop and running, stop and running. You know, then that dog's adjusting. Yeah. It ain't you're not gonna be. You don't yeah. move until that pheasant stops moving. Well, or you know, till that pheasant yeah. flies. Well, that pheasant ain't gonna fly if it doesn't have the chance to. It's just gonna keep running. So you need the yeah. dog to move and continue. Like it, there's a there's a balance, definitely. Yeah, I say I've definitely shot definitely shot my birds not on point. I did walk all, all day, and I'm gonna see a bird. I'm probably gonna shoot it, but he still yeah. points for me. So I don't. Especially for me and what I'm doing. If I, you know, I've I've said this before. If you expect to get 99 counties 99 perfect points and flushes and kills i mean it's going to take you 99 years so you know if if that bird flushes wildly that dog didn't hold or whatever you bet i'm going to shoot it because that's my one opportunity potentially for that county and ultimately at the end of the day the dog still got you you know relatively close to that bird through scenting and all that stuff that it it wasn't all just oh it happened to be here let's say people made I say I've done it too, but my dog people will probably say something, but I, there isn't like I've shot my fair share with my dog, not on point. I'd say, especially like early on, I was like, oh, yeah, how is he gonna learn besides that? Like, hey, this is what we're going after. And then, like, this year was his first full year, and I just like after the first week, 
it was like boom it clicked then it was he slammed on point for pretty much everything yeah so he'd still have those moments where we get out of the truck and it's like oh crap there's a bird right there and he just blows right through it but he's also one and a half yeah and i did the same thing with my dog this season when i went out like just me and her i try to do the whole don't try to shoot a bird unless it flushes up in front of her or in front of us she sees it goes up and can see it go down if i if i actually hit it and then it got to a point where i'm like well how is she ever going to get birds in her mouth you know she was i think the first time i took her out she was only six months old and she was 17 pounds, pretty small. So she can't really see over the cattails. When yeah. I try to walk through those, or even the tall grass we're trying to walk through. So I'm like, we just got to, I'm like, I just got to try to get birds in her mouth. You know, even if I need to take her to where it went down and have her sniff them out, like stuff like that. And some improvements from then. But yeah, for that little bit when I was trying, I'm like, I shot zero birds for a while. Cause I'm like, oh, that bird got over to our left, not in front of her. I'm not going to shoot it. And I think we're all guilty of that, Michael, in the sense of like, you know, in those moments, we always want the best out of our dogs. Right. So like in those yeah. moments where like that, they didn't do this or the bird didn't do that. So you're like, that wasn't the right scenario. So I'm not going to shoot. But then at the end of the day, as I mentioned, we're all guilty of it. We're almost hurting ourselves and our dogs to an extent because we can always train and work on steadiness. You know, obviously we don't want to create bad habits in the field out of the get go, but you know, yeah. you can always rein a lot of these elements in that we're talking about where, yeah, yeah. we're, if we're just out there waiting for that perfect scenario, especially on wild birds, gosh yeah. it's gonna be a few years before before we learn but that's a yeah. great point that you bring that up and that and i'm just tying into that michaels i think a lot we're all guilty of it and just thinking like it's got to be perfect don't don't overthink it like you're out there hunting with your dog that's the reward is the retrieve of that bird like that dog just did all that work so what if it wasn't perfect like that's what the off season and training is for is to hone that skill in make it fun keep it fun hey guys just thought we could take a quick break here to let you know that this episode of the upland nomads podcast is also brought to you by jeb's choke tubes and mossy oak outdoor dog i highly suggest that you go check them out now let's get back to it you hunt a lot in iowa obviously but do you get other places and do you hunt like other upland birds i guess you kind of touched on it with your quail but yeah so that kind of was the main reason behind the 99 counties is i just didn't have a lot of time per se to get out and travel different states. Two years ago, I felt like I didn't have any options or ways to travel out of state. And what I mean by that is it was just so foreign to me. How do I figure out licensing and those regulations? How do I figure out where to go in the whole state of South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, wherever you're going, talking pretty large states. And then within those states, you're going to try to figure out where birds are, which that's all part of it. I understand. I was like, man, you spend all that money on a license and gas and this and that. Why don't I try to just figure that out close to home and just not having the availability financially to travel that far and do those kind of things. But now through getting to meet some people, um, last year was the first time that I went to Kansas. Uh, so I was able to go down there and then I went grouse hunting in Wisconsin. And then I did go to South Dakota for a second time. I went out there when my dog was six months and or about a year. My dad's was two years, but that was like I just described five days of hell in the sense of we barely saw anything. We walked miles and miles and miles and we're like, where are the birds? How does this work? But we don't have cattails. We don't have buffer strips, uh, you know, um, like the rows of uh, pine trees, yep. things like that. Yeah. We have pheasants in Iowa and there's pheasants in South Dakota, but the way that the land was being used was so foreign to us and different in South Dakota that it was like, it was like starting all over again. 
So I think maybe that, and that was in 2019, I think maybe that rubbed me a little wrong too. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really have any interest in traveling out of state. Um, but then this last year, being able to go to Kansas and South Dakota again and Wisconsin and having success in all those areas, I think uh, it's it's kind of changed my opinion a little bit. But still the ultimate bulk of my time will be spent here in Iowa until I can get this 99 counties knocked out. When does Iowa pheasant season start and end? Like how long of a time period do you have? It's always the last weekend in October. So usually around like the 30th. It's oh, the first, the last Saturday in October. And then it ends January 10th. So roughly you have six, you know, a little over 60 days. Dang, you start like two months. Two to three weeks after us, and you end a week after us. Relatively speaking, it's not that long. No, it isn't that long because we end like it's usually like the weekend of New Year's. So, if like okay. New Year's is on like the, a Thursday, you have like the second, third, fourth to hunt, like Sunday being your last day. Yeah, but that makes sense. Gets in a few days into, but sometimes like this year, I didn't even. I was done. I shot a bird on Christmas Eve and it was so cold. Like after we got done with all the Christmases going to my family's fiance's families, it was like negative 20 below for like a week straight. And I was like, I'm just it's not safe for me. It's not safe for the dog. Yeah. So I was like, we shot a lot of pheasants this year. So like we're, and if I had to end on one, that one I shot on Christmas Eve was the one to end on anyway. So. When I went to when I went to South Dakota, I said that was last year. Technically, that was 2022. I went out there uh, just January 15th, so that was kind of nice to extend my season with my dog. Since we closed, I I my last day was the ninth this year. Kind of like you, I shot a bird on the ninth, and I was gonna go out on the tenth. I had it off work, and I woke up and was like, uh, I'm gonna be in South Dakota for five days next week, walking cat. Like I learned after that first time, I'm like, I'm gonna be walking cattails and busting my butt. I'm like, I I worked hard this season. I'm just gonna take take a day off, rest the dog, and gear up for South Dakota. I said, I have the, I don't know, I have the one dog, as, as do you, I guess, the dog power. Mm-hmm. I can't You got to think about that. So. Exactly. Especially early in the season. I mean, you know just as well as anybody from having a short hair that they pretty much all gas, no brakes. But yeah. That uh, even in the heat, it's hard to like control them to like, okay, like we need to like calm down. Especially if there's water around because they just want to go get wet. And then they're like, okay, I'm good. It's like, no, yeah. you're internally still hot as hot as heck, probably. Yeah. But like hunting the prairie grass in North Dakota, like there isn't a lot of, and especially this year we had a drought. So there wasn't like a whole bunch a lot of crick water. lines and stuff like that. No. And a lot of those times, like I'm, what I'm hunting, there isn't, it's just a short prairie grass. True. Sure. Uh, which is fun because my dog can range quite a bit. And then, if I get birds, I get birds. As I said, this is like the first year I we fully got into sharp tail hunting, so it was fun. Probably one of my favorite birds to shoot now. So this, uh, I had grouse hunted, rough grouse hunted, and woodcock hunted for the first time last year, and that was yeah. When you start to get into something new, uh, you know, obviously pheasant hunts a ball, but I've done that my whole life. So when you start getting into different species and different flight patterns and stuff like that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like kid in the candy stick shop. Yeah, how'd you like that? Uh, the woodcock hunting without getting too much into it, because I'll answer your question later about favorite bird species. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the wood, the woodcock are a blast. Oh, that's what I, I love. It. I love the woodcock. That's one of our one of our previous um, guests said before too, and it's like, man, it does sound like a good time because there's. He said they're so when they fly up, are they like 
super erratic and everything like that. They're not super erratic, but like they're slow. So in my opinion, I'm not a good shot. So in my opinion, they were, they were relatively easy because they're fragile birds. So I was shooting seven and a half. So you're, you're throwing some decent BBs out in the air and you get, you know, a couple pelts in them and they're going down. That's kind of like sharp tails. You know, you punch a pheasant sometimes and you rock them and they're still flying over the next hillside. And it's like, how did it keep going? Even if you see the poof of feathers coming off, you're like, I hit that bird. Exactly. Oh, wait, maybe I didn't. I don't know. (laughs) Sharpies go down pretty easy, though, Wyatt. Yeah, they let's say I use seven and a half shot on my Sharpies. Oh, really? Yeah, I think Michael can attest to it doesn't take much to bring them down. They're the, slow uh, to get up, but the Huns that we were talking about up your way too, those price seven and a half knock them out, no problem. Yeah, it's I mean, it depends what you're shooting too. Like you can find them in that's the one nice thing about them is that you can find them sharpie hunting or you can find them pheasant hunting because they're kind of they're kind of in both areas. So whereas your sharpies usually aren't in your pheasant habitat. So sure. yeah, it's uh it's always a fun like oh crap what's that because like in this early in the season we never had experienced that we had like a really late hatch with the pheasants so we're like crap are they pheasants are they huns what are yeah yeah <laughs> some of the pheasants we were seeing were just about the same size as the huns because they're like a third hatch so i've seen those little puff balls you know the pheasants yeah. when they're when yeah. they're younger they look like a little puff ball flying it's like oh yeah maybe not <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's so we got into a few, we did not pheasants, but we got into a few huns and like, they were still pretty young and they were like, just changing their color over to that like silver gray and orange. It was, it's a blast. I mean, it's, they yeah, erupt at your feet them. and then they're going like every which direction. Okay. I flock, Michael and I flock shot some this year too. <laughs> my dog went on cool. point, my dog went on point and when, as we we're walking up towards them, they got up and they came right at michael and i i ended up shooting like i shot two out of that group and then they just like kind of neat coming right at you we landed by my feet so hold the bag open yeah yeah (laughs) trick shot yeah yeah trick shot (laughs) (laughs) so we kind of talked about uh on you know different birds and stuff do you have any like uh bucket list hunts that you want to go on the next you know couple years five years stuff like that i think I'm trying to potentially get to Montana this year. So I would knock oh that out. And then Arizona, just want, like everybody talk, everyone you just talks want to meet in Fargo or what? Fargo, we can meet out there. Let's say I got we're going Labor Day weekend to Montana. Labor Day weekend, when's that? I always get Labor Day Memorial Day backwards. That's in September, isn't it? First like that weekend in September. Oh, so I got yeah. my I got my cousin's wedding on a Friday and then we're leaving Saturday morning and then you can buy a 72 hour license in in oh, uh, Montana nice. for 50 bucks. So, what? That's pretty slick. So we're like, oh, let's just go there and let's hunt Sunday, Monday, Tuesday and come back like Tuesday because it's only yeah. six hours for us. But the I th- I don't know. I was gonna say Arizona because you hear all these people talking about Arizona, like scald quail and all that scaled quail and all that stuff. Uh, they got a lot of different species down there. I don't really know the seasons in North Dakota and obviously you, you could attest to this why, but like sandhill cranes, you can shoot those up your way. Right. Um, Michael would know more. Michael's the waterfall yeah. guy. Yeah. I think you can, but I think it's uh it's, there's a certain line. Yeah. Well, cause I was like, if you could get into like um, the hunt, if you could get, do like multi birds, that could be a pretty cool hunt. Well, you can't North Dakota. You can pretty much any day. 
Yeah. He could get like some sandhill cranes, you know, one day and then be hunting some huns and some pheasants or you got prairie chickens up there as well or just South Dakota? No, they have, there's a few amount of prairie chickens, but you can't hunt them. Like there's zones Protected. where where you can't hunt, like where there could be sharp tails and prairie chickens, yeah. so you can't hunt them. So actually just right in Grand Forks from that, I think there is a, like a line where you can't you can't hunt on the north side of Highway 2. I believe I'm not positive, so okay. I believe there's a few around, but there's no season. There is rough grouse in North Dakota too, but that was the bucket list hunt, and I was able to get a red faced rough grouse in last uh, October. And so now, when you ask that question, now it's like eh, it's, it's kind of it's kind of evolving right now because I I literally just completed my bucket list one. Well, Montana must have a little more huns than we do because you can shoot one more sherpy a day. And five more huns a day. Okay. So you can shoot four sharpies, eight huns. In North Dakota, it's three and three, which is fine a fine number because oh, is there a blue a blue grouse in Montana? Yes, Western Montana, I think, or dusky dusky grouse or whatever they call them. And they're, I think, they're a little larger. I think. Yeah, like a mountain. mountain. I've seen pictures of some of these birds. I'm learning about these Western birds, like being an Iowa boy, born and raised, it's like quail and pheasant. So like yeah. the last two years, I'm like, what are all these species? You can hunt these? What? Yeah. And so I was like, I grew up <laughs> pheasant. My grandpa used to raise pheasants. So pheasants were like the only thing I ever knew. And then now I'm going all west. It's like, okay. It was still mainly pheasants, but now I've gotten into Sharpies because you could hunt them earlier. And the Huns, the Huns are probably my favorite bird to shoot, but I just don't like specifically go after a hun but they're just always that nice surprise and we and they say we have huns in iowa i have not gotten on to them and i think you guys had saw but i posted the other day a picture of a bird and i was like what was this and everybody's like oh that's a hun dude like you don't you don't realize that you have those in iowa i'm like no that's cool (laughs) i like that cinnamon brownish on the back or whatever then the gray i was like okay yeah i would think that was a hen at first when it flushed if i saw one but evidently they're kind of in um cubbies yeah usually there's like we have i have like gotten on singles too and those are freaking hard as heck to to shoot too get down so uh tyler with ringnecks and retrievers he lives 10 minutes down the road for me i'll pick him up in the truck and grab nick his partner over in des moines and head your way yeah that'd be a quite a crew of dogs we got some goldens we got some german dogs yeah yeah i say we wouldn't have to hunt them all at one time no, and then we can let let those uh, flushers get in those cattails for us. Put our put our smart pointer dogs away, right? Say <laughs> <laughs> so it is always interesting having those pointers in the cattails. Out west, though, it's the cattails aren't as thick. I would say as around here. They're I imagine to walk. North Dakota is like South Dakota, and South Dakota ones are thick. You know, as you know, are thick. Yeah, say it. in yeah. Eastern North Dakota they're thick, but I thought, um, oh, maybe Michael was thought different, but I thought they're pretty easy to walk through. Maybe it's because the moose were uh, walking through them too, and there's moose trails. But it could have been. But also, I know you know it could have been half due to like the drought because they weren't as tall as like I've usually seen them or as thick either. Oh, that's uh, right. I forgot like, you guys. Yeah, with that drought. Yeah, I know. I've walked cattails in Western North Dakota before that were just as thick as Eastern side. Now that was a couple years ago, but. It was still one of those ones where you're, if it's cold outside, you know, you're not going to get cold because you're working so hard trying to push through those things. But uh, yeah, like that could have been 
part of it too this year, but I guess I'm not really hundred percent sure. Yeah. If that's something you guys actually want to do and bring up the flush them and dust them guys and we can have a powwow at, so I don't know why you guys like to hotel it up or you guys like to camp it up or what. I have a camper. I'll like camp for turkey season, but usually it's not a like a winterproof camper. So usually by time bird season rolls around, I'm finding a cheap hotel. Yeah. I said like, we we if you listen to our second podcast, you'll hear our story about camping in about 20 degree weather. <laughs> yeah, ten. That and our heater shutting off in the middle of the night. Well, that's pretty cold. Fun. <laughs> I was warm. But. Boy, you're warm up on your cot. Me on the floor, I was freezing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You had that air barrier, Wyatt. So, Nick, you, you've listened to a couple of our podcasts. Now we kind of do a little questionnaire at the end yep. to help our listeners understand you. Probably do it at the beginning, but it's always fun at the end. No, I think it's good. So, first question What's your favorite upland bird to hunt? Uh, currently, the woodcock. Uh, it's new, as I was briefly talking about earlier, so it's new to me. I'm hoping to get up and woodcock hunt again in Wisconsin. Luckily, they're like out-of-state license, like $40. It's like super cheap, 50 oh, bucks or something. That's nice. Yeah, so it's super affordable for an out-of-state guy. Um, and that that's just a little weekend trip, you know, two-day, nothing crazy. Um, How far is uh, Wisconsin from where you're at? Where I go is about four and a half hours they say if you go another hour you know about five hours north you really get into the north timber up there so i'm just scratching the surface but for a little weekend trip try to keep it close so um the the pheasant will always be king but right now my favorite's the the woodcock so our second question we got for you here it might be a no-brainer but uh what's your favorite dog breed and second part of it i guess is uh what's the favorite dog you've ever hunted behind uh my favorite breed favorite breed would probably be the griffins and not just because i currently have one but just their personality and uh if you have one that would probably make a little more this comment would make a little more sense but they're very human-like and i know all dogs take on you know characteristics of humans you know we see ourselves in them and treat them like family and like they're our own kids to an extent but um just like their emotions and, and expressions and they're very very in tune with what is going on in your house and just your energy and all that stuff they're it, they're just they're very they're very connected to you which which i think is a good thing because at the end of the day you want a hunting partner in the field you don't want uh you know a greedy dog that's out there hunting for themselves this is a this is a team so uh i, I love the griffins for that and favorite dog you've ever hunted behind or breed it could be your own dog i don't know Favorite dog I've ever hunted behind, um, honestly, probably would be the Gordon Setter and Llewellyn Setter that I was able to, I hunted Iowa, Kansas, and South Dakota with, with Tom this year. Uh, we were able to, to crank that out and being around those two dogs and seeing how they worked and how he would kind of interchange those out. The Llewellyn worked a little closer, the Gordon, you know, if we needed a little more power and some legs to get out there, we'd let the Gordon rip. And then Sophie just kind of come in right behind both of them. And we just kind of had that nice dynamic duo of, you know, them covering 75 to 100 yards. Sophie's right there at 40. So if anything got past the first group, you know, she's right there to kind of do cleanup. And then we had a lab also that kind of walks about right at our right at our feet. He's more of a, yeah. a good old, you know, boy. And uh, he's definitely doing the cleanup. So once the dogs go on point, he likes to get in there and kind of flush them. So I, I would say those setters right now. And I hunted with some other setters with, with uh, some other people this year. And the, the setter, I, I was really impressed with the setters. Yeah. 
Uh, question three: What's your best memory from your public hunting journey, public land hunting journey, besides finding your Garmin Alpha after <laughs> oh, you lost it? <laughs> that was incredible. Um, this last year, this last season, I got Franklin County uh, knocked out, and that one stands out as one of my favorites, just because um, I tried really hard in Franklin in 2020. I got these birds figured it's about two and a half hours from me. So relatively close in the grand scheme of things. And I had these birds like pinned down where they were, but every time I would get to them and the dog would go on point, they would just slip out be, you know, the first time they'd go out the left bush, the next time they'd find a way to go out that right bush. And I, every time I'd come in, I thought I had a new solution. These are like multiple fields. I had them all pinned down in and just could not get it done. And then this year, uh, I went out in kind of similar situation, could, was missing again, and then uh, I was able to finally walk into a piece of land. I knew where they were hiding. I figured out this, this awesome strategy, this crick froze over, so I was able to come into it from a different direction than I could ever hunt it before, and I'm like, I got these birds figured out. And I came in, and this dog goes on point and end up shooting my rooster. It's the biggest rooster to date that I've ever shot. And my dad's actually going to work on mountain hen this weekend. My dad does a little tax army. So why that was so memorable for me is just how one, how I had to put in the work to figure that County out. I wanted it so much that I knew what the birds were doing, but just couldn't get it, you know, all put together. And then finally, when I put all the pieces together, it just was that much more rewarding. Um, and then to be rewarded with that big old, you know, I mean, that was probably a two, three year old bird, which for, I was an old bird. Uh, was pretty special. How big a bird was it? Um, I don't know. I don't know a hundred percent. I'll put, when I get him mounted, I'll post that, but he had, I don't know, big old spurs on him. I don't, I don't want to say numbers cause I don't know, maybe half an inch. I don't know if that's big or whatever. Some people measure the tail feathers. What I've always been told is count the bars on the back. So this one had like 36, 37 bars, I think, or an average yeah. pheasant has 22, 24. I say my grandpa always said if a bird has 30 bars, it's a pretty big bird or it's an older bird. I would say if you can get 30 bars on a bird, that's a really good bird. 24 is pretty average. If you're hitting 27, 28, 29, those are some pretty solid birds. All right. So now getting on to the fourth question here. What's the favorite county that you have hunted so far? Favorite Maybe county I hunt. hunted so far? No, I can answer. I can answer it. It was Clark County, and that's actually in southern Iowa. And here's here's why it's my favorite. I shot three pheasants in Kansas that morning. I drove home, crossed the border, and on my way home, I had I had my schedule planned out where for the last hour of the day, I just knew where I was. I knew from timing I was going to be in Clark County for the last hour of the day, just based on where timing got me. And as I pulled up across the street, the farmer is combining his cornfield, which in Iowa, the pheasants love to live in the standing corn and they fly into the grass next door. And I'm like, this place has pheasants in it. He is combining right there. Walk out of my truck. Don't even walk 10 yards into the field. Brewster gets up. I didn't even have a chance to turn my GoPro on because I wasn't expecting it to happen that fast. Walk into the field, big old rooster gets up and I dropped him. It was like, I just got a Kansas limit in the morning, drove back into Iowa and knocked the county out of my 99 counties. This is a damn good day. <laughs> That's sweet. We didn't want to give any hot spots on either, but no hot spots here. You can, a lot of our stuff is, you know, if you do your research and put your time in, you're going to find, you're going to find good, good access. 
but pheasant hunting's hard. I mean, you gotta, you gotta put in your work. I don't think I can say anything, you know, as far as a county name, it's not going to narrow it down for you. Yeah. I suppose I'll say if you just narrow it down here and be like, Oh, there's pheasants there. Well, or- and we got, you know, obviously I'm trying to go everywhere. So ultimately, hopefully the goal is at the end of my thing, I can tell you, yeah, any County there's pheasants. So get on in there. So what's your, what are you looking forward to most with your 2022 season? I think just continuing to, uh, expand my knowledge as far as the upland hunting goes and uh continue just to just uh try to make some good headway on my goal because you know i i'm 34 so i'm relatively young but obviously i'm only getting older and my joints and everything are only getting older so i don't want to be trying to i want to be able to hunt when i'm in my 40s and not still be chasing the 99 things which i enjoyed i don't want to make it sound like a chore but it'd just be a neat thing to accomplish and then move on in my hunting career so to speak what is after you do the 99 counties? I think after I do the 99 counties, hopefully I'm to a point where I'm a little older and have a little more freedom to maybe dive a little deeper into like elk hunting. I, I would never get sold out on it, but if I don't get one like this year, we try to go every five years as I was saying, but if I don't get one this year, like that would definitely be an accomplishment, I think, to try to add to the bucket list or maybe like a moose hunt somewhere would be, would be pretty cool. Our final question we got for you here. What shotgun are you currently shooting now? And that's a two-part one, too. And what would be your dream shotgun? So I'm currently shooting a Franke Affinity 3 semi-auto. My dream gun, my, my dream gun would probably be um, some sort of Caesar Guarini, you know, just because they look pretty and they're fancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're, I mean, when you, if you've ever shouldered one, they're a very smooth gun. I hunted with, with a gentleman earlier this year who had a, who had a Caesar Guarini and his opinion is, you know, if you buy a nice gun, it, it should be to be used and hunted with, which I completely agree with. This guy probably had like a $10,000 shotgun that we're hunting with and, you know, gold inlays and all this stuff. And he's just sitting down in the grass, tying his boots and this and that. And I'm just like, uh, uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I want a Caesar, but you know, maybe one that's just like a couple thousand dollars or something, you know, not that fancy where I got to worry about it because I got like, I'm kind of weird like that. I got a really nice drone that I wanted to use for like some hunting shots and stuff, but it's like so nice. I'm like, well, what if I, you know, I spent X amount of dollars on it. What if I crash it and break the camera and, and then yeah. it just kind of sits there. <laughs> so I don't want it to turn into something like that. Yeah. So do you shoot a 20 gauge or a 12 gauge in your front? 12 gauge. 12 gauge. Yep. I think, the, I think the reason we have this question is because we're both looking at buying new guns. <laughs> a lot of people shoot the Franke Affinity 3. It's a very popular gun. My dad has it, and I borrowed his for a while when I was looking to go from my Remington 870 pump to a semi-auto. Yeah. And uh, I carried his for a few. Well, I took it on a week-long trip by myself, and I was like, wow, that's light. It's nice. The, um, the only complaint about it, and a lot of Franke guys will talk about this, is if when you push that button to send the receiver forward on that first shell, if you don't get that receiver pushed all the way forward, it doesn't engage. So um, I have had a situation where a dog goes on point, that bird goes up, and you pull the trigger, and it just goes click. It doesn't engage that shell, actually. I saw that in one of your videos today. But... Yeah, yeah. So if you, if, you're, if you don't have it pushed all the way forward, so I think they call it like the Franke click or something. But if you look at blogs or anything online, it, it's – was a common issue i think on the newer models they've gotten rid of it okay. um, but don't quote me on that but it is an even with that being said it is an awesome gun and it is a sister company to benelli 
Does that sound yeah. right? Bronco? Yeah, so I have a I bought a <laughs> Benelli Monofeltro a few years ago. So I'm very nice guy. Yeah. I'm more so looking for I think we're both kind of looking for like a sub gauge. I know we both have 12 gauges, but 16 would be a 16 gauge would be cool to own, but it's like where do you find ammo for a 16 gauge? Apparently it shields here in Grand Forks. We what we have all the time is 20 gauge. We have 20 gauge all the time. I about switched to a 20 gauge last year. I could switch to a 28 gauge and I'd be fine for probably like five years. 28, 28 gauge. It's like, why do we? Why are we carrying 28 gauge Fioki? Like, it's not even like it's bad ammo. It's really good ammo. <laughs> never even and seen the 28 gauge. You kill like I elephants never, with that, or the the best part about it is they have a 28 bunch of 28 gauge shells, and they only have a 28 gauge in stock. And, and well, that'd be shields. smaller when a 28 gauge. I'm trying to, yeah, I don't know. If it's in between that 20 and that 410, but yeah, there's like I a like 10 gauge. Is that like the elephant gun they call it? Yeah. A 20 gauge is just like that perfect, I think, for me anyway. I like it just it's really nice, really light to carry around in the early season. And then uh you can also shoot pheasants with it too if you want to. Yeah. Actually, if I, I will change my answer just real quick. I, I would my dream gun would be a black powder side-by-side muzzle loader. I just learned about those recently, like in the last couple months. They hunt with these on plantations down uh quail hunting down south on plantations it's a side-by-side muzzleloader with black powder but it is traditional black powder evidently where it's the big puff of smoke so when that quail covey gets up and you shoot at one you're not getting that second shot because it's the puff of smoke there but it's all about tradition evidently down on these plantations where where they do this uh very old guns but i i didn't even know there was an upland muzzleloader i think i'd have to pass on that that'd be too much work Way too much work, but just the nostalgic <laughs> factor. Oh, that would be kind of cool. How do they like get about loading? I'm assuming they just, do they have a specific like they just dump a bunch of BBs in, pack it down, or how does that work? I believe it's kind of similar, like you know, your old school patch and ball where you had like the cloth patch and then the big muzzle loader ball. I think it's similar, the the um with the patch in there to divide that shot. Yeah, and then sure it's have, like a paper casing it, or something like that. Yeah, and then you have your pre-measured you know, I haven't seen it. I'm just thinking out loud here, but I don't know. It's all new to me. I didn't even realize it was a thing. Well, that's great. Well, that's all we got for you, Nick. If anybody wants to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, the I mainly post stuff on Instagram as far as pictures and things like that. I post a lot of stuff on my story on Instagram of just my day-to-day in and out activities. D- definitely during the season. Some some goofy stuff, you know, in the off season or whatnot. But uh, and then videos on YouTube. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to develop those videos. So bear with them. If you watch them, they're kind of raw and just unedited content, but, uh, just a place where I can kind of more, um, tell the journey of that County and, uh, how the day went. I was a little disappointed because I lost a bunch of content last year. It accidentally got deleted off my computer. So when I was talking earlier about like missing all these birds in Franklin County, that video was going to be like 14 shots of me missing, you know, like chronograph together and then finally me having six like to show that this is a you know you're not going to get out of the truck and just get a bird one day you may have to come back to that county another time like just i just really want to try to show the ups and the downs i think a lot of guys like to post the tailgate pictures like we all do and there's a time and a place for that i definitely think but at the same time what are we doing in the off season we all have crappy days in the field where we see nothing and things like that and let's yeah. talk about it so we can all you know, relate to each other and grow, you know, through each other's experiences and stuff like that. 
but well i re- really appreciate you guys having me on white and michael and it was great to meet you guys at uh, the pheasants forever event in quail classic up there and uh continue to look forward to um, seeing what you guys are doing and listening to the podcast thanks so much thanks for coming on yeah absolutely appreciate you guys asking yeah so thanks again for coming on i really appreciate it appreciate it we had a lot of good conversations and you know it's really good to talk to somebody that shares like a common passion and like you said it was really nice to meet you at hunt ready Two and talk with you and everything um so that's all we got you know i want to thank you guys all for sticking through this go ahead and give us a like and a follow on instagram you know keep listening to the podcast give us a rating on spotify so yeah thanks again for listening and we'll catch you on the next one